0: So today is our last message in this series that we've done for the month of October called Death and All His Friends. And You know, one of the joys of getting to preach all the time like I do is that I literally get to study the Word, and I really enjoy that. I've always enjoyed the Word, but now I get to do it, and I get to, like, you know, I get to see a lot of truths in the Word, and then I get to bring them on Sunday to all of you, and it's just really exciting and fun. And I tell you, though, this month has been, specifically, this month has been um, a little more challenging than some because... We're talking about sin, and, you know, I'm having to look at my own heart as I'm preparing this, and I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm looking at everything, and, and uh, the Lord's dealt with me in my own heart as well, and, but, man, it's one of those things, I've, I've stepped on my own toes, and, but I'm so thankful because we always should be wanting to be more like Him. You know, it's not, talking about sin is not about trying to make us feel bad, it's about making us more like Him, and l- learning what it really looks like to live in the liberty that He has given us, and uh, there have been some tough subjects this month but um, a very life-giving too. But I'll tell you, I think I saved the, the, the best one for last. So today I'm gonna talk to you about something that's not really a specific sin, but if it's active in our life, it will lead us into a, an abundance of sin uh, that can really have a detrimental effect on our life. I'm gonna talk to you today about the religious spirit. And uh, my text verse this morning, I wanna set it up for just a second. Uh, it's in 1 Samuel, but you know, God's, told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse because he had rejected Saul as their king because of his sin. And so Samuel's going to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king, and he walks in and he sees Eliab, the oldest. And Samuel says to himself, oh yeah, this is him. Oh, he's, he's great stature. This surely I'm standing before the next king of Israel. And God's response to that is my text verse for the day. So if you could stand with me, please, as we read God's word together. This is God's response to Samuel. Samuel. In verse seven of chapter 16, he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. And all the vertically challenged people said, amen. Amen. That's right. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Only God can speak about himself in the third person. And he's doing that here. He says, man looks at the outward appearance. And this is The thing I want you to get, if you get nothing else I say today, if you're going to sleep as soon as you sit back down, remember this. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. Say it after me. The Lord looks at the heart. If we can get that in here, it'll change our life. The title of my message today is The Heart of the Matter. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we bless you. We thank you for your word that is life to our bones. God, we thank you that you turn graves into gardens, and we bless you today, Lord. Be glorified in our midst in these minutes we have following God. Open our hearts to hear your word. Do your work that only you can do, God, and may you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So last week, I talked about apathy if you were here, um, and uh, if you didn't hear it last week, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it. I think it'll... I think it's something we all deal with at some level in our life. And I mentioned that apathy is probably the most condoned sin that we deal with in the church. Well, apathy is the most condoned, the spirit of religion is probably the most dangerous sin that we deal with in the church. And that's for a number of reasons, partially because it can masquerade in our life as a godly spirit and we may not even be aware of what it's doing. See, most of the sins that we struggle with in our life that we've talked about over the last five weeks We know it if we're dealing with it. You know, if we're talking about pride, we're talking about greed, we're talking about lust, we're talking about anger, we know if we're dealing with those things. You know, as soon as somebody mentions it and if you're not, if you don't have complete walls up in front of you, you know, yeah, that's something I need to deal with in my own life. The spirit of religion is something that can be incredibly covert, that can operate in our life and we're not even aware that it's operating because it can be so subtle, so sneaky, so slimy in our life and so we have be intentional about it because even a well-intentioned person can fall into the trap of the spirit of religion so what is it i made up my own definition for it i put elevating the spirit of religion is elevating behaviors and practices above matters of the heart it's putting it's putting behaviors and practices the things we do making those more important than what's actually in our heart it's the prevailing idea that what I do on the outside is more important than what's on the inside, which is directly contrary to the word of God. It's directly contrary to my text verse, where he says, God says, I look at the heart. I don't look at the outward appearance that men look at. And this is not apathy. In fact, talking about apathy last week. Apathy is that whole attitude of, you know, you don't really care. You don't care about what's happening. You're just kind of doing your own thing. Everybody else is doing their own thing. And you're just crossing your fingers that everything will work out in the end. Whereas the spirit of religion is the complete opposite of that. The spirit of religion causes us to care about too many things. It causes us to care about things that aren't even necessarily high priority, that aren't even necessarily meant to be things that God would want us to put a premium on in our life. We're deeming those as more important than they need to be. So we're, we're the opposite of, ap- of apathetic, but it's still just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, in our life. The focus is on legalism, which legalism is just really... It's right standing, it it tells us that right standing is based on our obedience apart from faith. It's living by a set of rules. And I can tell you that obedience in our faith, church, we need to understand this, obedience without intimacy with God is very, very dangerous. Obedience without relationship is the epitome of the spirit of religion, where we're just following a set of rules in our life. And we're not really living the life of faith, we're just living out a list of things that we think we should be doing in our life. And if you wanna see what it looks like in the Word of God, you don't have to look very far, all you have to do is look at the spirit of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were what Jesus rebuked more than anyone else in the Word of God. These Pharisees were the, the religious, they were the very religious, they were the most learned, they, they knew the most, they, they had the highest position, they knew the, they knew the law, they knew, the, they knew God's commands, they knew a lot, they had a lot of head knowledge, and outwardly they looked like they had it all together. They knew how to dress, they knew how to pray, they knew how to fast, they knew how to stand in front of people and look incredibly spiritual, yet these are the ones Jesus rebuked the most. In fact, in Matthew 23, 15, kind of gives us a, a, boils everything down to one verse of what Jesus felt and believed about the Pharisees. It says, Jesus saying this, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. They were hard workers. They worked hard to convert people to their way of thinking. But look what he says there. But when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. That's harsh words from Jesus. That tells you what he thinks of the spirit of religion. What he thinks of this religious lean, this this idea of following rules, of putting burdens on people to say you have to look a certain way, you have to live a certain way to actually be somebody that God would love and that God would approve of. Their religion, their rules and their laws meant nothing to Jesus. Nothing. Now there's always gonna be a tension in that with us as followers of Jesus, right? Because even when we start off with good intentions, oftentimes we can get to where, maybe you go through a season where your love for God kinda grows cold. But you know enough, you kinda created enough muscle memory that you kinda know what to do. But it's not really coming from a heart of love towards God, it's coming more out of ritual or more out of duty than it is really having a heart for God. And if we're not careful, it can be something where the spirit, and I'm telling you church, this spirit is an evil spirit that wants nothing more than to affect us and operate in us, okay? And I don't know, I don't know about some of your theology, but I can tell you, some, I know some people believe, well, I, I can't have an evil spirit operating in my life. I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, that is not biblical. It's not scriptural. In fact, if we are not surrendering ourselves to him every day and making sure we're being filled continually with the Holy Spirit, there are other spirits that want to have influence in your life, and they're going to have influence in your life. So to think, oh, well, I prayed one time, you know, that I resisted the devil one time, so I'm good to go. Well, you were good to go in that moment. But let me tell you, a new day creates new opportunities and new challenges. So this is a continual living by the Spirit of God, not just assuming, well, I love Jesus, so the evil spirits have no way and no say in my life. Well, that's interesting because scripturally, that would be very, very hard to prove. In fact, you'd be going against Scripture to say that. So we have to be aware of it and understand that even as a, somebody that loves Jesus and, and genuinely wants to live my life for God can still be influenced by the enemy of your soul. Jesus, The Bible tells us we're in a battle. We're in a battle. If the war is over, once you get saved, there's no such thing as a battle anymore. We're just coasting along, sipping on sweet tea all day. But we have a battle in front of us. So Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, but you know the Pharisees didn't care much for him either because the spirit of religion doesn't like what Jesus brings to the table. And so we see it no better than in Mark 3. It gives us some insight into the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees. In fact, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, Another time he, this is Jesus, went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal them, heal him on the Sabbath. They were watching closely, not because they were interested in what was going to happen, but because they were looking for a reason to accuse them. It says some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. What an incredible miracle. They literally saw a man who had been had a shriveled hand for his whole life. Jesus literally just had him extend it, and it was completely healed. These people no doubt knew this man and knew this was a legitimate issue, and he was completely healed. And the Pharisees were so blown away by this miracle they just witnessed, they hoisted Jesus up on their shoulder and pranced around saying, Hallelujah, glory to God right? No. That's not what they did at all. In fact, the next verse tells us what they actually did. It says, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. That, my friends, is the religious spirit. Cannot even see the work of God in a situation that was so ridiculously miraculous, yet all they saw was that one of their rules was broken. And so they decided they wanted to kill Jesus. And we all know they eventually accomplished that task. So the spirit of religion is what killed Jesus. And it's an evil spirit. The spirit operating in our life will kill the work of God in us and those close to us. Because it will cause it will squash people's own dreams. It will squash their own ability to be able to really serve God if we have influence over people's lives. Just like it'll squash ours. This shows the power of this spirit. The fact that it caused these Pharisees to want to literally kill Jesus. I mean, you imagine this scenario playing out in church. Let's say today. Let's say somebody came up during worship and had Taylor up here and he prayed for somebody and their their leg was completely healed. They were on crutches. They threw their crutches down or completely healed. We would all go crazy. We would be jumping up and down, worship. We wouldn't have a sermon today. It'd be nothing but worship. We'd be so excited. Could you imagine if I came up after that happened and said, hey, no, 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 we're not doing this. We're not doing this. You want to get healed, you come on Wednesday night. We're trying to get our attendance better on Wednesday night, so come on out. We'll heal you then. You would. This would be your last Sunday in this church. Probably mine too, for that matter. It's ridiculous. But yet we see the Pharisees did it, and they thought they were right. They were thinking that they were doing the will of God by trying to get rid of this ornery Jesus character. That's what the spirit of religion does. The spirit of religion has many, many purposes in our life. I want to give you a few of them quickly. One of them is to blind us to the Holy Spirit's authentic work in our life. As I said, these Pharisees could not even see that this was the Holy Spirit working. All they could see was that Jesus broke one of the rules, that they weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And and let me tell you, like you could say, well, you know what? The law did say to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You're right, it did. But the Pharisees took it and went to extreme measures. They got to where you weren't allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. You weren't even supposed to look in a mirror because you might be tempted to fix your hair on a Sabbath. You weren't supposed to, I mean, you weren't supposed to do anything. So they took it to the extreme and Jesus healed somebody. Obviously, these guys missed the heart of the commandment, because he even said later, he even said in another place, he said, you know, if you have an animal falls in a pit, you're going to pull it out on the Sabbath, because you're trying to save that animal's life, right? He said, well, that's what I'm doing, yet they couldn't see it. They were blind. Jesus actually calls them blind guides in Matthew 15. He says, you guys are blind, and you're leading blind people. He says, when two, pe- two blind people are walking, they're going to fall into a pit. They were blind guys, They could not see the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is so Difficult at times to recognize this religious spirit because it does imitate the work of the Holy Spirit so often. Like I said, these Pharisees, in some ways, they looked incredibly spiritual. They, they, had, they would memorize the Torah. like they knew the, they knew the Bible. They knew the things that they needed to know, and they had all this knowledge, and so they looked super spiritual. And that's why this can be such a challenge for us to recognize in our own life. But that's exactly what this spirit would want to do. It would also want to put you in spiritual slavery. It wants to enslave you spiritually. And this, this is something, you know, this is why Jesus came. Was to set us free from slavery. In fact, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, out of Galatians 5.1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He literally set us free so that we would be free. Yet this spirit of religion would want to put us back in slavery. It says it was for freedom that he set us free. Stand firm then. Stand firm. So if there's nothing that could put us in slavery as Christians, then Paul wouldn't have to say stand firm. He would say kick back, relax, enjoy the freedom that you have. He says, no, stand firm and don't let yourself be burdened or influenced Or let a familiar spirit come into your life that would make you a slave again. That's what the spirit of religion wants to do. It wants to enslave us because our freedom is dangerous to the enemy. It's very, very dangerous to the enemy of your soul. Jesus came to set us free and and his, his liberty that he gave us, we exchange it for legalism when we allow this spirit of religion to have its way in our life. It may, what it does is it makes our faith not about being free, but about being right. And that's what happened with these Pharisees. They were more concerned about being right than being free. And let me tell you, there's no place for that in the body of Christ, church. We are, the church is getting a reputation for wanting to be right more than we are wanting to help people get free. Social media has exasperated that. I get grieved when I see Christians wanting to be right on social media, whether it's political, religious, social, whatever it is. This thing of us feeling like we have to be right because we have the Bible so we're right isn't winning anybody to Jesus. And it's a spirit of religion that is active in your life if that's you. I'm not pulling any punches today. Because I, don't, I hate the spirit of religion. I am incredibly sensitive to it because I came out of it. I can see it a mile off. I am the resident expert on the spirit of religion, because I lived in it for 20 years, and I detest it more than anything in this world, and I could spot it so quickly and so easily. If you feel like you have to be right and trying to convince somebody or prove yourself right, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's on social media or whether it's anywhere in this world, if it's about being right, it's the spirit of religion. We don't have to prove that we're right. We're, we need to be more concerned about setting people free and us living free ourselves, too. Only free people can set people free. It's the only ones that can do it. And if your convictions are the only right ones, then you have a spirit of religion operating in you. If everyone else, if your convictions are at a place and you think that, you know, there's a difference between sin and conviction, right? There's some things that are the same for all of us across the board. That's a sin, that's a sin, that's a sin. There's other things that are about conviction. The Lord will convict you of something. I'm convicted that I shouldn't do this because I feel like that's something the Holy Spirit has asked me to elevate in my life. And if your convictions cause you to look at other people without the same convictions as you and think, they're not as good as me, that's the spirit of religion. If, If people not reading the same version of the Bible as you makes you think less of them, that's religion. We all know the NIV is the right one. (laughs) And all the King James people are going to string me up tonight. Um, But it's it's ludicrous, but we do it. I I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. It's nothing but religion. It's it's an evil spirit, church. You You can doctor it. You can make it sound spiritual, and you can talk about it in the Bible. It's a spirit that's from the enemy of our soul that's trying to have influence. You see, the Pharisees put heavy burdens on people because they were right. And yet Jesus said very clearly, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, what a beautiful verse. He says, come unto me, all you lab- who, that labor and are heavy burdened. I believe this is a reference to the Pharisees because Jesus talked to the Pharisees uh, earlier about how they burden people. They weigh people down with all these rules. So he says, come to me, all of you who are under the thumb of the Pharisees. In other words, I'm taking some liberty there. And I will give you rest. Ooh. Anybody want rest? Rest for your soul is so beautiful. It only comes if we're free from religion. Jesus brings rest. Religion brings burden in our life. All right, another purpose of religion is to corrupt your view of Jesus. And this is the worst of the three that I'm giving you today. Because if it if this if this religious spirit can corrupt how we see Jesus and not see him in the light of who he really is, man, we are, we can be incredibly hindered at best. And at worst, we can be far from God. If your view of God is that he is a harsh taskmaster, which I dealt with that for many, many years in my life, thinking that he was just some taskmaster, some taskmaster looking to, to, for me to mess up so he could get me. If you see him as that, instead of a loving father, then you have allowed this spirit of religion to have an effect in your life. And I could say that as someone that has been there and done that, because you cannot grow and mature beyond your understanding of who he really is. So the enemy, if he can't get you to reject God completely, he'll try to distort your view of who God is, because you'll never grow beyond that. You'll just stay in that place. And you'll live your life trying to earn his love. You'll live your life trying to prove yourself to your God. And you know what happens when you do that is you just live in constant condemnation because the spirit inside of us knows that we can never measure up to who he is. We can never be good enough. We can never get to that place where God would say, okay, well, I guess you don't even need grace anymore. You pretty much figured it out on your own. None of us can get there. So we live in constant condemnation and knowing that we're never, ever going to measure up and that it's never going to be enough in our life. You feel like you never please God, like God's very rarely pleased with you, unless you have a really good week. And then, man, God's really happy with me. I could probably ask him for anything I want now, and he'll give it to me. I didn't have any road rage all week. I listened to Christian radio when I was in the car. I didn't cuss. I didn't yell at my kids all week. Honey, now's the time to pray. What do we need? Let's pray for a windfall. I mean, obviously, I'm exaggerating, but that's what we do. That's what we do. Like, I I, I just, I don't even know if I can come into the presence of God. I just got done, you know, yelling at my husband or my wife or doing something that I just know wasn't good. And so I'm not, I, I don't get to really come into the presence of God. And the flip side is true, too. And then if you have a good week, you feel like, yeah, boy, now God loves me. And you start looking down at other people that aren't living up to the measure that you're living up to, right? But yet, we know very clearly in Ephesians 2, verse 8 that none of us can do it on our own. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But if we let the the spirit of religion affect our view of Jesus, what we end up doing, and this is what I did, is you end up, you you almost visualize Jesus as being up in heaven with a clipboard. He's got a piece of paper, and it's divided in two. You got the good things and the bad things. And he's writing down the good things. And he's, I mean, he's burning up his pen, writing down all the bad ones, right? And and you just hope that your good outweighs your bad. That is not the gospel. That is not, because I can tell you guys, no matter what you think your good and bad look like, your bad far outweighs your good. Far, far outweighs your good. You can never (laughs) boast about the fact that you're saved because of anything you've done. If you could, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. And God would be a masochist, sending his own son to die for something he didn't need to do. He could have just said, be better, people. It'll never happen. Never, ever happen. All right, so I want to give you uh, what, I, what I call the religion's value system. I want to give you these three quickly this morning because I think this will help us to understand a little bit of where the spirit of religion comes from. This is the heart of the matter, okay? The first thing the spirit of religion values is tradition over truth. Our faith has a lot of traditions, right? And it's a good thing. Tradition is not a bad thing. Until the tradition becomes more than it's supposed to be. Until it becomes something, it stands in the place of truth. Then it becomes something that can be motivated or can be can be empowered by the spirit of religion. If you find yourself saying, this is how we've always done it, and when somebody says, well, why is that? And you say, I don't know, it's just how we've always done it, and you're not even open to talking about doing it differently, you might be dealing with the spirit of religion in your life. Again, if it's based on the truth of God's word, it's a good thing, but if it's just a tradition that we think it makes us feel comfortable, because this is how we do it, then we are in error. And the spirit of religion is what values tradition over truth. And it's dangerous because, you know, oftentimes these traditions start with a desire to honor God because of what he's done for us, but then it turns into something totally different. And if it's more important than God's word, it's gone too far. It's become a religious exercise. You know, just one small thing that's somewhat inconsequential, but it's something that really I think we can all understand is the whole thing about Christians praying before they eat. It's a tradition, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually a good thing to pray before you eat and give God thanks for food, right? It's when it becomes something that if you see somebody else that doesn't do it, you kind of look down on them. Like, oh man, did you see that? They ate and they didn't even pray. And, and to the absurdity of thinking that that's like something we have to do because that's what God sees as pleasurable or that's something that if I don't do it that I'm upsetting God, it, it, It's it really is absurd, right? I mean, because, you know, I kind of joke about it. I like to poke the bear a little bit when it comes to something like this because I came from a place where it was a religious duty. Like if we went over to my grandparents' house to have a meal, my grandpa's prayed the same three sentences every time and he could be doing anything else. He didn't have to think about it. It was just reciting it, you know? It was just really a ritual. And and so we kind of, you know, pick at it a little bit. And like, you know, when people when we go out to eat, you know, sometimes like you get your bread, nobody prays over their bread. And you only have to pray over your salad if there's chicken in it. Because otherwise, it's just the thing you get before your food, right? But man, when the meat and potatoes come, whoa, we gotta pray. Gotta pray. And, and so we get in this, this thing of uh, this tradition and we we kind of make it almost gospel when in reality, it's it's not really based on truth. Yeah, I know Jesus gave thanks for the food and he did that. He didn't say like, hey, thou must pray over every meal before you eat it, you know? I joke with people, I'm like, Yeah, I pray on Monday morning for the whole week. That's what I do. (laughs) I just take care of the week. And I just think, you know, we, we focus so much on that, but, you know, there's other places where I really think we should be giving thanks that we don't. You know, the fact that when we get in our car in the morning to go to work, we should be thanking God. Thank you for my car. Thank you for the gas that I have in my car that was over $3 a gallon now, right? Thank you for my insurance so that if something happens, I'm okay, Thank you for that it's taking me to a job where I'm making money so I can support my, I mean, there's so many things we should be giving thanks for, but we just get fixated on this steak and potato thing that we have to pray for. And it's just, at the end of the day, it's not meant to be something that we hang our hat on. Now listen, I pray over my meal sometimes, you know, especially if Joy's with me, but. (laughs) I'm just trying to uh, get our heads around some of this tradition we have the church there's a lot of other things too that we can make a tradition when it's really not necessarily based on truth secondly the spirit of religion values appearance over authenticity this is the big one this is this is basically the crux of my text verse that man looks at appearance god looks at authenticity and who doesn't struggle with this at times if you raise your hand say i never struggle with it you can come on up here because you need to be preaching Because I don't know anybody that doesn't have to deal with this at some point in some way in our life. Because none of us fully have it together, but it is our second nature. It is innate in all of us to make it look like we do. We don't have to think about it very much. We don't have to work very hard at it. It's just natural to put up the facade to make it look like we have it all together. Because we want to give the appearance that we do. Because being authentic And letting people see inside and let people see our weakness is something that everywhere in society says, no, 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 don't do that. We don't want to see your weaknesses. You can even feel it in the church where you might think people don't really want to see my weakness. They want me to say hallelujah and praise the Lord all the time, even though I feel like I'm dying inside, right? Because appearance is more important than authenticity. And that is the spirit of religion working in us, in our life. And if you've been doing your faith long enough, living this faith long enough, you know exactly how to act. In fact, you can even get to where you find a sense of peace in your life if you feel like the people around you think more highly of you than they should. I mean, don't we all do that sometimes? Where like it feels good to feel like people think I've got it together and people are actually looking up to me and thinking things about me that aren't necessarily true and I'm kind of okay with that because I don't really want them to know the truth. And it just breeds hypocrisy in our life. It causes us to be more hypocritical, to put up more of a facade because we like how it feels when people act like think we got it all together. That's the spirit of religion. Working hard, I'm telling you, it does not stop. It works around the clock to try to influence us and have effect on our life all the time. And it is dangerous because we end up putting a premium on how we appear before people over how we appear before our God. It creates a false sense of righteousness because what we do is we compare ourselves to others. And this is something I did too when I really was struggling with this in my life in my younger years, I would compare myself to others and that's what would give me my peace. Like, you know what, I know God's probably not real pleased with me because I know I'm not measuring up to him, but man, I'm doing a lot better than these guys. And I would constantly find some peace in that knowing, you know what, if God's gonna come judge somebody, he's gonna get them before me because I'm better than they are and it gives this appearance of having it all together. If you talk to people that were in my life back when I was 18, 19, they would say, oh yeah, great young kid, young boy, young man, whatever I was. They would say, yeah, he's just, you know, he's in church all the time, he's helping to lead his youth group, he, I know he reads his Bible, he stays out of trouble, he's not drinking, he's not doing drugs, like he's just a good guy. And that most of that would have been true, but, the, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I was dying on the inside. I was, living this, I was living under this religious cloud every day, feeling like I'm just not good enough. But I would find peace in knowing I was better than you. And it's nothing but religion. We live in a society where image is everything. And we even as in the church can fall into that trap, where image becomes important. There's even a, a commercial, or used to be a commercial out there that that was their tagline, image is everything. It's all about how you look to people it puts the focus on being respectable in our faith instead of really radical in our faith. It's all about being respectable. Society respects somebody that's respectable in their faith as long as you're not radical. But that's the spirit of religion. It's the fear of man over the fear of God. And we all struggle with that to some degree because frankly, we fear man because, over God because we know God will forgive us. God's more forgiving than man and women. And kids in life. Even Peter struggled with this, church. So this is to give us a little bit of encouragement that Peter, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, this is New Testament, the church is going full bore. And then in Galatians 2, Paul talks about how he had to rebuke Peter because Peter, in Antioch, he wouldn't sit with Gentile Christians because he was afraid of his image, of how it would tarnish his image. This is not pre-Spirit-filled Peter. This is after. We're still struggling with this appearance thing. And Paul says, I had to rebuke him because I knew what he was doing was wrong. And so this is something that we can all have to deal with in our life. And I take you back to my text verse. God cares about the heart. Man is the one that cares about appearance. Don't miss this, church. All right, third and finally, spirit of religion values judgment over justification. This is where for us it can get really, really ugly because we, can, we, we want justification for ourselves. Justification just means to be right before God. We're justified because of what Jesus did for us, right? But it can be easy for us. If we're allowing this spirit to have place in our life, it'll cause us to respond to others with judgment. We want them to be judged. You ever find yourself, and don't, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I just want you to be thinking about this and I'll be the first to admit I've done this. But you find yourself almost like there's certain people that you just know they're getting away with stuff. You know they're not living like they should live. And there's almost a part of you that is just, you find some solace in knowing one day they're gonna get theirs. You're judging them. And that's a scary place to be. Because that's not the heart of God at all. The heart of God is that we would want his mercy to be showered on them just like it was on us. That they would, get to, they would have a place to respond to his grace and to be able to cry out to him. But if we're at that place where we're like, uh, you know, one day they're gonna get, I mean, you could, it, we could feel that way, especially about people that we're not in relationship with. You know, celebrities, politicians, athletes, and you see these people that are just getting away with murder and doing things that are an abomination to God. And After a while, you just start thinking, well, one day they're gonna get theirs. That's the spirit of religion. Because God's spirit in us is always going to want us to cry out for them that God would be merciful to them. Always. In fact, it's it, we see the heart of God in the, the woman caught in adultery, right? So these Pharisees bring this woman caught in adultery and they throw her down at the feet of Jesus. And they said, Jesus, the law tells us that she's supposed to be stoned. God tells us that we're supposed to stone her. And they were loving it. They were polishing their rocks, ready to go. And they said, what do you say, Jesus? And if you know the story, he didn't say anything. He got down on his knees and started writing in the dirt. And whatever he wrote made these guys all go away, one at a time. It says they all left till the only one left there with her was Jesus. And Jesus asked her, he said, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't have any. And he said, neither do I. I don't condemn, I don't accuse you. He said, now go and leave your life of sin. That's the heart of God. That's, that's the heart he wants us to have, not to be once ready to pick up a stone, but wanting to say, to to offer redemption and forgiveness to each and every one, whether we feel like they deserve it or not. But the spirit of religion values judgment. It's that pharisaical feeling of like, they deserve judgment because they're not good enough. They're not as good as me. The the list, the list, the, the, the bad side is so much longer. I had to get more pages of paper to fill up the list of the bad side. They deserve judgment. And you know what God would say to that? So do you. So do you doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've read through your Bible. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter if you give your whole paycheck in the offering. It doesn't matter if you pray six hours a day. It doesn't matter if you fast every month. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You deserve judgment. You deserve hell. You deserve death. And it's only because of what Jesus did for you and for me that we don't have that. That's the only reason. The only reason. We have to understand that. We have no place to judge. The reason Jesus said don't judge others, and he's not saying you can't look at people and encourage them in something they're doing doesn't mean we can't ever talk about mistakes we're making. He's saying don't don't live in a way that you're being judgmental with others and, and being hypocritical with others because you know why he doesn't want us to do that? Because when we do that, we are agreeing with the enemy of their soul. We're agreeing, the enemy would say that too. Yeah, let's judge them. Let's pile it on. Let's get our rocks ready. Jesus said, I don't want you to be like that. Be like me when I saw the woman caught in adultery. He could have judged her right there and said, yeah. He didn't say she didn't commit adultery. He didn't say, oh, no, guys, she's a good person. This was just a mistake she made today. She could have been in adultery for 20 years. It didn't matter. He said, no, I I desire mercy, not judgment. And that's how he wants us to live, too. But that spirit of religion will always want to judge others. All right, will you stand with me, please? And I'll close. Church, we guard ourselves from the religious spirit by treasuring the word of God in our heart. That's the best way, is by feeding ourselves on this word, keeping it in us. If you're, not, if you're not reading your Bible, you can't possibly expect to always recognize the spirit of religion in your life. If you're not being continually surrendered and filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't possibly expect to be able to resist this spirit in your life. And I know it's attention because sometimes this can become a religious duty so there's that balance i mean i'll be honest with you there's days man it's going to this is just going to let you see behind the curtain guys i'm a pastor and there's days i haven't read my bible a hush falls over the crowd i've gone days where i have not read my bible and you know what i have such a deep root a previous root in the spirit of religion. I know I can go back there in a heartbeat, where I start to think to myself, I didn't read my Bible yesterday. It's not good. And if we if we if we go there, and that's what we're feeling, that is the spirit of religion. That is the spirit of religion, just like it is saying, I can't eat my steak without praying, to say I didn't read my Bible yesterday and to feel bad about it. Now, if you say I didn't read yesterday, but I missed, I miss it. I really like getting in the Word. That's one thing. But if it's this guilt you feel because you didn't do it, that's not God. That is not our God. So read it every day, but don't feel bad if you don't. Real easy, right? (laughs) It's a challenge. It's a tension every day. You have to remind yourself every day. And if you start feeling bad, rebuke it. Rebuke it, because it's from the devil. Jesus will never come to you and say, you didn't read your Bible yesterday, shame on you. Never. Now, he will say, read it tomorrow, it's good. But he's not gonna guilt you. So, we wanna pray. I wanna invite you to come to the altar. If you'd like to, you're welcome. But I'm gonna pray for all of us, too. So, at your seat, if you're gonna stay there, I still encourage you to respond. It's important that we respond to the word of God. Yeah, if you wanna come up, don't be afraid. No one's gonna look at you. I know we got away from coming to the altar during COVID, and, and, and now it's it's a little bit of a thing if you wanna come up. but. Trust me, it's a good thing. Sometimes it's just good to get on your face before God and, and take a step of faith to do that, right? But even if you stay in your seat, let's, let's just respond to this. Let's open our hearts to the word of God in our life, okay? And if you're here today or you're listening online and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, you can, you can deal with the spirit of religion even if you're not saved. In fact, I had somebody come up to me after first service and he was like almost in tears thanking me. He said, I dealt with this for decades, and he wasn't saved back then. He said this, this spirit of religion was prevalent in my life even when I wasn't a, save, well, a Christian. So it can affect all of us, where we can start to feel like, even though I'm not saved, if I read my Bible, God will be good to me. God will have mercy on me. Oh, if I go to church every once in a while, even though I'm not really giving my life to Jesus, I'm not really committing myself to him, he's still gonna do good things for me. He's still gonna bless me. That's religion, church. If that's you today, I would encourage you, give your life to him. Don't just try to do a few ritualistic duties. Give your life to Jesus. It's worth it. It's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the best decision. And and as I read in Ephesians, it's the free gift of God for all who will come and receive. So don't leave today without giving your heart and your life to him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I know it's truth. I know it is life That it is life to our dry bones. And God, even though we're talking about sin and things that kind of make us feel a little weird on the inside sometimes, Lord, we know that it is, it is all to liberate us. It is about us walking in the freedom and the liberty you give us, not the freedom to sin, but the freedom from sin. Lord, that's what we want. And Lord, we come today and we repent where we have focused more on appearance, where we have focused more on tradition, where we have focused more on judgment of others, God, we repent of that, we ask you to forgive us, and we turn from it, Lord, and we wanna focus on your truth. We wanna focus on being authentic, and we wanna focus on the justification that comes from knowing Jesus. What a blessing, what a privilege, what an honor it is to come and to know that you will not reject us. No matter how many times we make the same mistake, you always pour out your mercy and your grace when we come to you. And we thank you for it today, Lord. Do your work in each one of our hearts for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we praise God one more time with a hand clap? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord.